0: To gentlemen. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Folks, we've had a couple of people already this morning call in asking us to deal with a couple of issues that we will, and we're always responsive to your, to your uh, requests, too, if there's something you want to hear the guy's opinions on. But before we go any farther, Jeff, we had a, a disturbing call about a half an hour ago from a lady who was, uh, as they say in the business, known to the program. Very nice lady uh, going through some problems with her daughter. Who is uh, severe manic depressive uh, needs uh, constant medication, et cetera, et cetera. When she doesn't take it, she can be problematic, and she she wound up in jail here a little while ago um she needs her meds she needs the uh the kind of government support that was there for her in terms of disability uh uh, payments and so on so she can pay for the meds and the care she needs now her mother is told that she can't get any of that that she's she's out of the loop because of the brief incarceration before they got her into the hospital can you shed any light on what's going on there
1: uh, yeah, that uh, she's stuck by uh, changes to disability benefits that the Ontario government have brought in, and they've, they've brought in big changes to the way that disabled people receive be- government benefits, and it appears to me that the objective is to try and, and uh, get as many people off disability benefits as they can and kick them over onto welfare, um, where they would get about half of what they get on disability benefits. And what she's run into is that uh, people who have been disabled in the past who are receiving government benefits were were what's called grandfathered onto the new system. So that meant that they continued their benefits under the new system. But if you get kicked off for any reason, then you have to apply under the new system. And the new system is way more difficult to apply under than the old one was. Um, What's happened among other things is that they have changed the uh, medical qualification where it used to be that... You would get medical reports from your doctors and send them to the area office in London, and uh, they would have a London doctor review it and decide whether you met the qualifications or not. They've now changed it and centralized it down in Toronto so that uh, there's an office called the Disability Adjudication Unit in Toronto where the files have to be sent. One of the things that the Ministry will not do is send your London file to Toronto. So you may have been on disability benefits for 15 years, and you may have a huge thick file at the Ministry office, Um, the ministry's position is well that's tough that's in london and our doctor now happens to be in toronto so we will not look at that we will assume that that does not exist it's incumbent on you to go out and and generate a put together all the medical evidence to show that you're disabled. How are you supposed to do that if your if you're disability is a mental one? That's a real problem. And what also is a problem is that they've brought out medical forms that are way more complicated and long than they used to be that the doctors expected to fill out. At the same time, they've dramatically reduced the compensation that they'll give a doctor for filling it out. So the doctors are extremely unhappy about that. And among other things, they won't spend much time on them in a, in a lot of cases because they're not getting paid for it. So what happens is that uh, there's a real problem in getting these reports to Toronto and of course what they really need is the medical file which the Ministry of Community and Social Services has but refuses to look at because it's in the wrong office. Uh, All they have to do is courier it from their London office to the Toronto office but they refuse to do that. And again you can draw your own conclusions as to the reason for that. So the upshot of it is that uh, a person is left to reapply for benefits It will take them probably six or seven months to do that. The alternative is that they can appeal the fact that they were cut off benefits and and there's no law saying that they have to be cut off benefits, this is just a government policy that they're doing this, Uh, they can appeal it at our office, that's what we do, that will also take seven or eight months to do, because that's how long the backlog is. Uh, In the meantime, if they have fixed expenses, and what will often happen with disabled people is that uh, you've got someone with a permanent disability, they will buy an apartment condo or something because they know that, okay, I can't work for life, but I'm going to get a thousand dollars a month for life from the government. now what will happen is that they'll be faced with six or seven months where they're only getting half that amount. Typically, they will go into default on those kinds of things. They can't afford those, so it results in real problems for them there. The other problem is that a number of the drugs that they used to uh, provide have been delisted, that is, drugs that the doctors say that they critically need. The government says they don't need. Tough luck, they're not getting them. So uh, the upshot is that what she can do with... I think the best thing to do right now is exactly what she's doing, and that is try to get... Uh, Uh, public attention on the problem and to try and get political pressure, particularly right now when the, when, as we're heading into an election, the Harris government is trying to portray itself as the new kinder, gentler government. We're not the mean old guys from before. So now is a good time to try and say, well, here's an example where you're still doing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cut it out. Uh, So I think that's our best route. Certainly, she can file an appeal. In the meantime, she can come to our office. We're happy to file an how appeal. Would
0: you re- how would she reach you there? Is there a phone number? Or?
1: Yeah, phone number of neighborhood legal services. Uh, we're a, a, a law clinic. Is 438 is 438-2890. Yeah, so she can call us and we'll do the appeal. But, but again, that will take months, months and months to do. Uh, but I think, again, the public pressure is the best thing that's going to change it. There's no law saying they have to do this. They're just doing it. Okay. Uh, Donna, for our caller,
0: Donna, who called earlier, there's uh, a little better advice than what I gave you. It turns out it is, in fact, a provincial uh, jurisdiction, and I think where you are, I think, I think Diane Cunningham is your representative, but I'm not 100% sure, but if you were to phone her office and give them the address, they'll tell you exactly who's, uh, who's riding you were in, and make sure you do follow up and call them, just as we suggested earlier. But don't hesitate to give Jeff's office a call either. Um, we're going to do more on this issue, folks, because this is the kind of thing that, uh, that drives me crazy about governments, every kind of government. This is one of those kind of between-the-cracks things. If you sat down, and uh, seems to me any reasonable person sat down and took a reasonable look at it, you wouldn't do what's being done now. Just, what, there's just no reason to do it, right, basically? Well, yeah. Why would you? It makes no sense at all. Even from a money-saving point of view, it makes no sense at all. So we'll be following this up. Uh, I want to now turn our attention, if we may, to, uh, and thank you, Jeff, for for shedding a little light on that, to uh, two issues that we talked about earlier today, and we had people call and say, would you get to Jeff and Bob to comment on these, because we'd like to hear what they have to say. Uh, The first one I'd like to turn our attention to is this Bracklow versus Bracklow case in out of British Columbia. It's now before the Supreme Court of Canada. We're told they are going to uh, rule tomorrow on the case. Nutshell for people who missed it. Uh, Two adults get married, um, um, early 40s, mature, growing kids, all this sort of stuff. They get married, they're married for three years, they get divorced. Uh, Towards the end of the three-year period that they're married, the woman starts developing physical symptoms of fibromyalgia, which is, uh, uh, well, depending on who you talk to, is either a medical condition or it isn't, but the fact is that she claims she's disabled by it. The courts ruled that her ex-husband had to pay her $200 a month initially, And she complained, said that wasn't enough. They upped it to $400 a month for three years, which payments he made. Um, She now claims to be progressively sicker than she was. Uh, She thinks that he should be compelled to continue to pay her support payments. His position is, not only am I not married to her anymore, I now have a new wife. I'm trying to start a new life, a new family. We have no children with this woman. There was no common property. None of that stuff happens at all. She's basically just picking my pocket on the basis that she doesn't feel well enough to go back to work. It's gone all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. Now, I'm not going to ask either of my guests to second guess, supreme court justices but in a sort of an overall philosophical point of view mr metz i would ask you do you think this woman has any as a leg to stand on uh, from no. a moral or a legal point of view
2: um no on both cases really I, I think you can't change the rules after the games have been played um this gentleman already met his obligation according to whatever court order was ordered through the divorce if this rule is changed so that we actually have the old-fashioned style marriage back in place where, where a person is obligated to someone for the rest of their life, then that's going ha- to apply to everybody. You can't have it apply to one person and not to the rest of the country, and I just can't see the courts ruling that way. It would, it would create chaos in the, in the legal system. And
0: yet you would question uh, how, how it got that far, though, because obviously the previous courts have been unable to... Uh
2: well, as Jeff has said many times, you can claim anything. You can walk into a court and sue for anything, say anything, and see how far you can get with it. I can see an incentive on the government's part perhaps going back in the other direction because of limited government funds and, and endless lineups for all the handouts, um, but uh, and, and trying to impose that obligation back on the private sector in some way, but I just can't see them reversing this.
0: Jeff, what about from uh, a lawyer's perspective? Is there any legal merit in this argument that you can see?
1: Well, uh, I, I'm not a family lawyer, and to say when I got divorced the first thing I did did was go and hire a family lawyer. <laughs> but uh, there's nothing more dangerous than a little bit of knowledge. However, uh, as I've often said, my little bit of knowledge never stops me from having an opinion. Uh, I think that uh, it's interesting when Bob talks about going back to, or changing the rules in the middle of the game and going back to the old rules, I think that legally she probably doesn't have a case under the existing law. I've never heard of, of saying that you've got a permanent obligation to support a sick person because you were once married to them. Having said that, I'm aware as well that the Supreme Court of Canada doesn't hear every case that comes its way, that you have to get leave to um, to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada, and usually leave is not granted. Um, I've been involved in a couple of cases. Uh, one on each side where uh, where an appeal had been brought to the Supreme Court of Canada. In both, in both cases, the court said we're not going to hear the case because uh, there's no merit to it. Or the other reason they'll often not hear a case is because they say uh, we're satisfied with the state of the law on this issue and uh, we don't care to to visit it. Often they, they deal with cases where they want to sort of clarify uh, an unclarity in the law. So maybe that's why they're there. Uh, having said that, broadly that I don't think she's going to win, it raises some interesting questions that, that are worth talking about and and for me one of them is uh, first of all that I wonder if it once was the law that marriage vows were to be taken seriously. Were they legally binding contracts? And if you vow to care for someone in sickness and health, does that mean that uh, that they can enforce that if you choose not to? Uh, I suspect that at one time there probably was pretty serious when when you agreed to that, that it was expected you to honor it. And if you didn't honor it, probably something would happen to make you honor it, Uh, going back to who knows what's Hebrew law or whatever it would have been. Uh, and uh, for me, the discussion is one of who is in the best position to bear the cost of caring for someone who can't care for themselves as a community.
2: Well, it seems obvious to me the government has already made that obligation If she should be suing anyone for health care. It's the government. The government's already promised universal free health care to the whole country, which, of course, is impossible, but they're the ones with the obligation. Hey, stop making my argument for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's where I'm going with oh. this. <laughs> but you know and, and and i guess part of the problem is that it comes back to to this person i have no idea what the what the the husband was making, but if he was paying support of 200 uh, to $400 a month, that's pretty low support, I think, so I suspect he probably wasn't making that much money.
0: He's a mechanic, he's a heavy heavy machine me- mechanic, okay. so he'd make a decent dollar, but wouldn't. Mm. No, he's not making a fortune.
1: Yeah, so like if he was, you know, it, support is often based on sort of how much you can afford to pay, and also uh, they look at things like the standard of living that the person ha- had reason to expect. If you get divorced from, uh, from uh, uh, this guy wants Corral, Michael uh, Cowplan, for mm-hmm. instance, you could expect you're going to have way more support than if you get divorced from somebody who's who's a car mechanic. Um, But I think the fundamental problem with holding this guy to to it and saying, you know, you married this person, unfortunately things have gone badly for her, you're stuck with that, is that realistically it's pretty hard for him to, to pay the cost of looking after her. For one thing, to look after her is going to cost more than $400 a month probably anyway. Um, there's going to have to be some government intervention, uh, and and to me it sort of highlights this question of when is it appropriate for an individual to try to bear the cost of of uh, helping along the sick members of the herd versus having the herd as a whole uh, bear it.
0: But you mentioned a moment or two ago that the uh, that the Supreme Court does not hear cases without merit. Obviously, they see some merit in this somewhere, and I, uh, it's just, certainly I'm no lawyer, but I'm trying desperately to
2: find any kind I of merit mer- at all. I think the merit is in taking the pressure off the person with the true obligation, the government. I mean, the courts are appointed by the government, basically, and if they see the government's being broke and the obligation can't be met, well, they're going to go anywhere else that they can find it, and it's, I think that's been
1: happening in the courts for quite a while. Even in the yeah. Supreme Court? Well, and, and it, see, it may not be that they that they saw it and thought there's a good case here. It may be that they thought this is an issue that we should rule on so everybody's clear on the rules of the game again, that it's uh, maybe a novel issue that hasn't been directly considered in law. It'd be interesting to hear what the lower court said, you know, whether anybody in the lower court level agreed with it. Now, now, usually to get to the Supreme Court of Canada, you need to have a dissenting opinion at, at the lower court level. That is, there's usually a three-judge panel. Usually you usually have to have at least one of them having, having disagreed with the other two for the Supreme Court to say, well, there's obviously... See some ambiguity here we better clear it up you make an interesting observation there in in essence you're saying that if
2: if the if it's favorable toward the man in this case that we have sort of set another precedent and that almost weakens marriage vows again in the future
1: well yeah and that and those are the kinds of broader things that the supreme court of canada is historically looks at, that they they generally, you know, they'll have a statute that they're dealing with, whatever their equivalent of the Family Law Act is out there. Um, technically, they'll be dealing with that, but they're supposed to consider the broader implications as well. And yeah, I think that that's true, that if it's the case that by marrying somebody, you marry them for, were they married, four years or something? Three years. Three years. Three years that you could end up with a lifetime obligation to fully support this person. You may think twice about marriage and then broadly speaking, is that a good thing for our society or a bad thing? Do we want to he... make it even harder to get married?
0: there a pro- problem here, though, with, with basic contracts Law. I mean, if you and I drop a contract and say that we will do such and so for the next three years, and or for indefinitely, and in three years from now, invoking one of the clauses in the contract, we both decli- decide we are going to cancel this contract, we're going to release each other from all the, uh, all the uh, conditions of the contract, we both agree, we sign, we shake hands, we pay each other a dollar, whatever we have to do to make this totally legally compliant. There's no way that I'm aware of that you could come back to me three or four years later and say, oh, by the way, because we had that contract back then, I think you ought to be doing such and such and so for me now. I mean, that,
1: exactly. that wouldn't go anywhere, would it, in a court of well, law? Well, that's, that's true broadly in contract law, assuming that both sides agreed to it, yeah. both sides wanted out. Now, now if it, a positive scenario, I think he was the one who said, I'd heard you talk about this a bit earlier on the radio, I think he was the one who said he wanted out Yes, she got sick. Yes. In that case, then, if he's the one who's effectively breaching the contract, then she would be entitled, to say, you're breaching the contract, I want damages for that. Mm-hmm. And then the question becomes, do you get what's called specific performance? That is, can you continue to enforce the term of the contract indefinitely, or do you just get damages for the fact that it's been breached? And the courts usually say, you you only... Uh, you will only get specific specific performance if damages will not be an adequate remedy, usually you just get a cash settlement of some kind. The other obligation that the, that the wronged person has is to do everything they can to mitigate their damages, to reduce their damages. Um, so she would be obliged, for instance, to look for government assistance if she could get it or get help from other people or whatever, and if there was a shortfall, then she could come back and look to him for it. And normally what they would say is, we'll give you a cash payout, here's $20,000 or whatever. Uh, So as I say, legally, I don't think, from what I've heard, I can't think of an argument that she can make that's going to win. But again, to me, it's a useful time to step back and look at, well, okay, this is the way we've been doing things. Does it make sense to continue? If so, why? uh, Are are there some other ways we should be doing things? I'm aware that broadly governments over the last several years have been trying to invoke a much stronger obligation on families to look after families. Mm -hmm. And they've harkened back to days when... I know when your parents got old, they stayed with you. Uh, Somebody got sick, that the family rallied around to help them and so on. And I think the governments are trying to get back to more of that. And and part of it is obviously because they want to save money. But I think part of it as well is that they think... There's something to that. There's something to the idea of trying to keep families together rather than saying when your parents get old they go off to the home and, you know, you see them rarely. That's just not a healthy social thing. And, and well, if I you want to go that. back
2: to those days, you're going to have to lower taxes in this country dramatically. And yet the taxes are what fund all the other safety net programs that we have. So it's a vicious circle and we're never going to get out of it until until we have a clear direction of which way we want this country to go.
0: On that note we will pause for a moment. This is Left, Right and Center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. If you've got a question or a comment about what we're talking about this morning, feel free to give us a call at 643-1290, star 1290 on the Cantel. That's 1290-CJBK where we've got talk all day and sports all night. I had a complaint about some programming earlier today. Uh, one of the listeners thought I was a little tough on one of our guests. Um, we had Diane Watts from Rural Movement of Canada and Kirti uh, Abasekra on. who's a writer from Toronto. who's written a book called The Underworld of Crime, Drugs, and Sex. And they're talking about the legalizing or decriminalizing of prostitution. And uh, one of our listeners thought I was perhaps a little tough. I should have shut up more and let my two guests talk rather than jumping in there because I asked some rather tough questions of Ms. Watts. I'm not sure we got uh, cogent answers, but that's just my personal opinion. But we did have a caller say, why don't you ask uh, the boys on left, right, and center what they think of this issue? We'd like to hear what their opinions are. Let me set this up a little wee bit here. Um, Prostitution is not illegal in Canada. Communicating for the purposes of prostitution is. I don't know how you work those two together, and the police are a little uncomfortable with that as well. Um, The position of real women is that this is a moral and a health issue and that uh, we have to stick up for the family morality. She kept talking about family values. Mr. Uh, Abhishekra and many other people believe that this is not uh, properly a moral issue. It's it's an issue of individual choice. Now the health dimension of it is something else altogether and I'm gonna ask my my guests about that. But Jeffrey, I would go to you first on this Uh, as a lawyer. are uh, Are we not a little confusing in terms of our attitudes towards this? Yes, it's okay to be a prostitute but not work as one? Because essentially, that's what the law says, isn't
1: it? Yeah, this is my day of talking about laws I don't know anything about. <laughs> uh, as a criminal law thing, again, I'm, I'm I'm not familiar with those laws other than what I read in the paper. You know, sort of uh, as any of us would be. Uh, it it must be kind of weird to enforce it. Having said that, I I believe that the reason that that has occurred is that over time there's been this tri- this attempt to move from. Um, saying the prostitute is the one who will be charged, to saying that the customer is the one who will be charged, I think. And I think that that has sort of uh, come as a result of um, uh, changing social values, as as the politicians have perceived them over the years, towards saying you should try and get at the demand rather than at the supply to try to uh, reduce the problem, and to say that, you know, they recognize that often people People don't sort of graduate from high school or whatever thinking I'd like to be a prostitute. This isn't a life goal. This is something that people end up at, uh, I think, in most cases. And certainly anybody I know who's, who's sort of uh, been involved in social work around those issues says that... Uh, the, the Prostitution is often sort of a profession of last resort for women it's at the end of the rope. One way or another, they get into a drug drug uh, addiction or whatever, they end up doing that. And certainly I've had clients over the years who worked uh, either as prostitutes or as uh, strippers. Um, And often uh, they were people who, uh, again, have been unemployed for a long period of time and they get into it and there is a lot more money there than there is on on social assistance or whatever and they fall into it. It's not something that they chose to do Mm -hmm. and in most cases it's something that they're not going to tell you today, I don't like this, but they would all like to get out of it sooner or later.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't want anybody to misunderstand it. I think maybe I came out a little strong earlier when I tried to compare it to some other professions because I do acknowledge the moral dimension here. But... uh, I don't think it's unreasonable to, to ask, though, if, if that is the def- one of the defenses against, if that's one of the reasons to criminalize it. Um, what's the difference between that and, and a woman or a man who takes a non-sexual job that that does not pay well that they don't like that they ended up there that if they had a choice they would do something else but this is the way my life went and i ended up with a shovel in my hand digging a ditch
1: well that's the irony and the question of what do you do about it first of all to me the worst thing you can do with somebody who's doing something that they don't want to be doing in the first place and have been driven to is to say oh we're going to criminalize it as well you know we realize you'll still be driven to do it but if we catch you then we're going to throw you in jail uh, to me that's just adding insult to injury uh I can't remember the second thing that you
0: talked about there. Well, just, you know, is there, if if we, and I don't know whether you can or not, and I'll grant this to our listeners, I don't know whether you can remove the moral dimension, but let's for the sake of argument say you can remove the moral dimension. What is the difference? Other than a, and I don't mean to be indelicate, but it's about body parts here. It's about, you can use some parts of your body to earn a living and nobody cares. That's not it?
2: The difference is money. You can, like I said before, you can go to a bar and give your body away to a hundred men a night if you want to. Mm -hmm. There's no law against that. Mm. Nobody's going to stop you. And that's not healthy either. Mm -hmm. And no one would even think Mm -hmm. about stopping that person or putting them in jail for that. The minute we start thinking about putting, putting them in jail is when money enters the equation yeah
0: but it still comes back to the parts of the body again we don't we, we don't uh, we're not going to put the ditch digger in jail because he hates his job because it's a low rent job because he can't find anything else to do we're not going to say your job's illegal because he's using his back muscles or his arm muscles uh, and the woman is using some other body parts I mean that's the point I was trying to make that it seems to be less about That's about kind of the overall nature of whether work is demeaning or fulfilling or whether you like your job or not. It's about which
1: parts of your body you earn your living with. Some parts of the body is okay to earn your living with, and other parts it isn't. Well, and I think part of it comes down to, uh, uh, again, this comes back to the the irony of saying that, well, people are driven to do this, blah, 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 and then we're going to do everything we can to sort of make sure it doesn't exist. That's, in some ways, going to just make it worse for them. As you say, they're taking any job they can get. At least they've got a job you know, at least they're they're able to care for themselves, what's so wrong about that? You know, why is it better to say that shouldn't exist at all, and what's the alternative for them? If that didn't exist, what would they be doing? Uh, You know, one assumes that there isn't something better to be doing, or they'd be doing it.
0: Well, Ms. Watts suggested that, uh, Diane Watts from Real Women suggested that the government needs to take a more uh, proactive role, uh, retraining uh, courses, uh, you know, employment uh, redirection courses, all this sort of thing. She feels that the government has been very negligent in that area in providing, not providing these women with alternatives.
2: You, know, well, you know what you have to ask people like that when you get them on the show, Jim, is ask them what would be an appropriate penalty for catching someone in some, in, in some act that they disagree with. Well, how many years in jail should they go? And then you'll see where they really stand on the issue. But, you know, she said so many misrepresentatives. I heard the, the the interview, by the way, before mm-hmm. the show, and, and she was making broad statements that I had to write down. I'm writing in the car as I'm driving down I'm trying to drive down <laughs> well, down street. Well, that was you. Uh-huh. <laughs> but... Uh, You know, she says libertarians want to remove all laws. That's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Libertarians want laws that protect dignity and individual freedom of choice, which Mm -hmm. is what dignity is. Mm -hmm. When you take away someone's choice, whether you agree with it or not, whether you think it's good for them or not, you are robbing them of their dignity. There's just no two ways about it. She talked about family being the the fundamental social value and then went on ad infinitum about families in India selling their kids to prostitution. Where's the family value? How how does she connect these two words? Um, You know, and... And this this kind of disturbs me because, to me, the only kind of prostitution that we have any right to supposedly ban would be street prostitution, but it has nothing to do with prostitution. It's because you're conducting business in a public place where you don't have a license, and unless you get that license from the city, whether you're a hot dog vendor or a prostitute, you have no business being there, and we can round people up for that Now, but she, did,
0: she did raise some interesting points though, two interesting points, one was about the health concerns, because, and, and she did make the point that in countries where prostitution is unfettered there do tend to be higher rates of STDs and I know particularly in Southeast Asia that's true, because I've been doing some research about
2: that um, Well, that's true of not even just prostitution, uh, you know Sexually transmitted diseases occur more outside the realm of prostitution than in it. Okay, that's just a fact. If you're going to get a disease, you're going to get it from the girl next door, not the hooker down the street. Mm. I mean, but there are so many things that are bad for us. Cigarettes, alcohol, certain drugs we use, diets, uh, promiscuous sex. Uh, You can argue morally against all of those things, but the minute you take away the choice to do those things, morality exits the stage. There's just no morality left because morality only has to do with those things that are open to our choice.
0: Yeah, but isn't morality pretty self-evident here? I mean, it's, uh, you know, there are lots of people who Nobody believe it's, it's, stopping it's immor- immoral to sell your body to a stranger. And those
2: people shouldn't be selling their bodies. But they have no right to go to another person to tell them what their morality should be. Morality is something for the self, not something to be imposed upon other people. The only objective morality we have that we, that we enshrine under under the idea of rights, which is a moral, pre, pre- you know, concept, really, uh, is individual rights and letting every, everyone have their choice. But in having their choice, people should be, you know, bear the consequences of those choices. And I can understand people, like people and real women, getting upset when the cost of these choices are coming down on society, on the taxpayer, because we have to pay for them through our health care system, through our pro- poverty programs and all this stuff, when in fact I think all those things fuel the problem.
0: Jeffrey, I want to ask you about the the the, the flip side—not the flip side, but the second element to that. She was talking about was the fact that prostitution, being in this quasi-legal state here, that it makes it easier for young 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 women. She didn't mention men, but young women and young men to be to be coerced into it, to be uh, to be forced into it, and so on, because it's uh, sort of quasi-legal and there's sort of some kind of acceptance of it. What do you make of that argument?
1: Well, uh, and I, again, I think it plays back to something that Bob mentioned, which is that it's a it's a topic that's extremely polarizing. That opinions are very strong on both sides of it, and particularly people who think it's a wrong thing to be doing, uh, are prepared to sort of go beyond their own, uh, their own uh, backyard just to the next person's backyard and say, "I don't, I don't care about your freedom. I don't want you to be doing this." But again, though, that comes back to this question about if there's something that you don't like, who's the best person to try and. Change the uh, the behavior to get it to stop. Is it best to again criminalize the prostitute? To criminalize is it John? Is that what they call him? Mm-hmm. The uh, okay, the person who, who hires them. Uh, do do criminalize it with the uh, with the customers? In in my sort of perfect world, people would not want to go to prostitutes. There would be no demand for prostitution, and therefore prostitution would dry up. You would raise yeah, your sex so- would
2: be free. Eh? You'd, raise, <laughs> you'd raise your
1: sons, and they would say, "I don't want to go to a prostitute. I think it's degrading for women. I don't want to do that to them." Uh, you know, hopefully, would raise kids from an early age to say that's just not an acceptable behavior. And I, and I think that broadly speaking, that has happened uh, for years in London. It seemed like the um, And and again, I don't know what connection there is between strip joints and uh, and prostitution, but I make a connection here saying that it seemed like demand for strip joints was going down for years, that they seemed to be closing, and then they Mm -hmm. reached the point where they said, okay, we're only going to allow these ones. Um, What's sort of disturbing to me in the last couple of years is that they seem to have been replaced by body rub parlors that have sprung up all over the place, and I don't know whether as a moral bellwether there's anything to that, but for years I thought... You know, it seems like in the old days it was a a cool thing for the guys after work on a Friday to go down to the strip joint, whereas in the 80s and 90s it seemed like guys were deciding, no, I'm not going to do that. The demand was just drying up, and I thought this is a good, healthy sign for our society. People just don't want to go and see women uh, be exploited in those ways, and that's great. Uh, But but in the last couple of years it seems to have changed, and I don't know what to make of that.
0: Some people would say perhaps it's a change for the better in that there are now at least there's some kind of an personal relationship between the two people in the massage parlor, if, even if it only goes so far as a conversation, it's more than what they had. the guys had sitting in the strip bar.
1: Yeah, I wish people didn't want to go, and I don't know how you persuade them to not want to go, and it, it, one of the things that, I, that I'm troubled by, and I know Bob is, is that the solution to everything is always a big stick. <laughs> you know, if you don't want something to happen, we just come out with some massive law against it and uh, be a big dragnet of some kind or another. To me, that. I think we're making a big mistake to assume that everybody
2: who's a stripper or a hooker is doing it for the same reasons and for the same oh, yeah, sure, you're pressures. Right. You're right. Um, you know, you say you implied earlier, Jeff, that a lot of these women had no choice. They just fall into it they they were unemployed or something. Well I could say the same thing about how I got into politics. I just fell into it. I yeah. found my job was gone.
1: But that I'll doesn't take mean I didn't <laughs> teach <laughs> you but <laughs> but that doesn't
2: mean I didn't make a choice. I made a choice all along the way and uh, some people might argue that I'm worse off now than I was before at my job. I certainly am financially but I like what I do now much much better and um, but you know the same kind of thing to suggest that they're not making choices and, and the other issue you know the drug issue that they that they need all this money to afford their drugs well then that comes down to drug laws another prohibition where where the prices are, are, are so high for addicts that, that they can't get it supplied any legal way or through a pharmacy or even get any you know they even be afraid to go for help in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because they're on the wrong side of the mm-hmm. law. It, it just creates incredible incredible problems. Mm-hmm. Did you see that little article in the Free Press yesterday that they reprinted from 1911 no, or 1902 it, or something no. like that about uh, it was about prohibition of alcohol mm-hmm. and it was a fascinating little recap about how it just created problems and 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 vices and and just just, just like throwing fuel on the fire, you know. And they knew that at the turn of the century, and yet since then, you know, we had prohibition, we went back and forth, and we're always trying to prohibit things through but law. Arg- but
0: the argument has been made, r- b- Bob, and, and, and Ms. Watts made it earlier today. What are we supposed to do then? Just give up, just throw our hands
2: Absolutely. up and say, well, somebody she should, wants to she do it? She should practice morality herself. You, you You give up at trying to control other people. That's not a legitimate goal. It is improper to want to control someone else's behavior even because...
0: If, even if you, if, you, if you believe that behavior is destructive not only to themselves but to your society as a whole?
2: Well, if you, can, if you can illustrate the destructiveness and actually deal with a specific element of it, you know, like, but you can't just pass a broad law against the whole society and expect to, to be dealing with a problem. You're just making the problem worse.
1: I think you're right that that's one thing is the difference between trying to control someone else's morality versus trying to... Uh, persuade them or, or influence persuasion. them that's right. right and to me that's a legitimate thing to be doing but as far as trying to control it again by coming in with all these uh, heavy laws and stuff I think you're just fighting against a tide that uh, you can't hope to hold back one of the things that uh, that struck me is that uh, Although broadly, as I say, I think it's a, it's a symptom of an unhealthy society that it, that the demand is there. It would be even worse to try and clamp down on it. Why do you say that? Because is
2: a perfect example. You know, there's a lot of societies where prostitution is much more open and accepted, and no one regards it as unhealthy, where, like, as an oh, attitude. Yeah. Where, where, what do you mean when you say it's, it's unhealthy? my Judeo-Christian
1: background. Uh, so that, so, <laughs> so it's a religious... It's a me
2: Okay, so, but is there any other proof besides your basic personal belief or any other thing that you're drawing to where you can say that this is an unhealthy social attitude? Well, unha- I, think, I think laws against it are far more unhealthy than the worst case you of made, unhealthy. You made the
0: point earlier, though, Bob, that pro- promiscu- we know that promiscuity is not a particularly positive thing for the human uh, uh, body. We know that...
2: Well, it's uh, very risky. Yeah, yeah. It's
0: very risky. As so Dr.
2: Merkin says, if you've had more than three partners in a year, you're, you've got a disease.
0: Yeah. So, so does that not speak to to a little more about what Jeff is saying about this being an unhealthy lifestyle?
2: On a personal level, but socially, you'll find, again, you know, in areas of prostitution where people are in the business, that, that's not where the disease is spreading. Those people have to protect themselves or they won't be there very long if they plan to make any money in that business.
0: We have to pause for a second, but I ask my guests to think about this and I ask you folks to think about it too. What is the significant difference between a woman and... and <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble with this one. What is the significant difference between a woman who marries a man and takes his money or a woman who doesn't marry a man and takes his money? With, when, assuming that sex is involved in both those relationships. We'll be back to see what our guests think, and if you've got a thought on it, you give us a call at 643-1290. Stock of the town, left, right, and center with Schlemmer and Nets, and uh, Ivan joins us. Hello, Ivan. Hi, how are you? Good.
3: That's good. I'm just sick and tired of these people. Which people? People that go around and tell people what's wrong with their morals. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. These politicians that go around trying. Shut down body rubs, mm-hmm. parlors. Mm-hmm. They're legal. Mm-hmm. This woman you had on today. Yeah. But what, what about when the, a, a single woman takes a married man away from her husband? Mm-hmm. Well, I would, think that she, is that moral?
0: I would think that she probably would think that was immoral based on what she said earlier. Well, today. I,
3: then why don't, doesn't she put those people in jail, oh, too? That's a very good
0: question. I wish is I that right, that. though,
3: Jim? I mean, I know what's moral and what's not moral. If I don't want to go. I don't go see a prostitute. But if I want to go see a prostitute, it's my business. Mm-hmm. If I want to go to a body rub, it's my business because it's legal. If I want to go to a strip joint, it's my business. But what if those individuals in
0: those places are being exploited? What if they really don't want to be How do there? we know? Well, if we, if we leg- her point is if we legislate against it, then we don't have to worry about knowing but, but or But we don't
3: know that the, but, uh, some of these women make more money than probably she does, no, earn no, more it money. It's, it's a livelihood. If a woman wants to be a prostitute, let her be a prostitute, as long as she's not uh, forced to do it. Mm-hmm. But I think these people, these do-gooders, you know what I'd like to
0: do?
3: I would like to take a video camera mm-hmm. and put it in the house of others mm-hmm. and turn it on after they close the blinds. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd like to do. And I'll tell you something. It would be probably better than a Jerry Springer show.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Ivan.
3: Okay, <laughs> bye-bye. bye-bye. I think that would be illegal, That is too. the danger. No,
0: no. <laughs> Wasn't well, there like a movie about that? Now Ed TV, isn't that the movie? Some guy that's got a camera in his life. Anyway, six four three twelve ninety is the telephone number, star 1290 on the can tell. I do want to come back to my earlier question, and I meant it quite seriously. I'm not trying to inflame anything, but it's, it's an ongoing discussion. If you have, for example, a woman who decides that she is going to enter into the bounds of marriage with a gentleman, um, but she's only doing it for her own economic security, um, and he is going to pay her handsomely to share his bed in his home, um, our society today basically would would uh positively sanction that relationship say okay that's fine they got married that's fine uh suppose it was exactly the same situation but they didn't get married then society frowns on it. it says no she's a gold digger you know she in effect she is a prostitute she's selling herself for money does that one piece of paper make that much difference
1: uh well I, this is your mess i don't know if i want to walk into <laughs> <you down> the <laughs> <laughs> middle of this thing or <laughs> not <laughs> but uh i guess you know it, it occurs to me that uh again going back to the judeo-christian thing that there seems to be this idea that uh, marriage, for one thing, involves monogamy, that that's a good thing, that uh, prostitution in- involves promiscuity, that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if a woman marries a man for money, and in our society, I don't... Like, that's not the sort of way that, that we... Think of ourselves as operating. We all marry for love. If, if I saw a oh, movie horse, last night. It was all horse feathers. Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Marissa Tomei, and that's the, we all marry for true love. That's horse the only feathers. reason the Canadian would marry. <laughs> uh, but if somebody does marry for money in that in that circumstance, then uh, again, I guess they're making a lot more of a commitment in the sense that they're not just exchanging literally uh, a sexual act for. Some cash, well, what theoretically, finding themselves for life. Well, what
0: if you're not? What if you're that? What if you're that young woman or a young man? Because it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a, a specifically sexual. There are male prostitutes as well. What if you're that that person and you enter into that agreement with this other individual and it's only about sex, but you're monogamous? Does that change us at all? Change it at all? Are you still a prostitute if you're having sex for money, but only with one person?
1: I don't think that she would. The real woman would like that either. <laughs> I don't know, but.
2: <laughs> That's 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 got to be a matter of definition, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, you could you could marry for economic security, you could marry for emotional security, you could marry somebody because you like their looks, or you like their personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people get together for a zillion different reasons, and, and for a combination of them. Um, some people, sex plays a very low role mm-hmm. in, in, in their relationship, so we, you know, some people might think that's weird to get married if there's no sex or no children planned, why are you even bothering, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, Not to if me British. To <laughs> <laughs> oh, <sorry>. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Well, to me, the, the, the key word is the word commitment. And it would be nice if we could draw up marriage contracts that we could count on and count on the government to, to, uh, to enforce in some way, but I just don't think that that's the nature of a contract anymore. There's always an out clause, and there's always a way... Uh, to get around it. Basically, a contract just imposes a certain condition on you when you break your commitment. Well, I
1: think that that, and that's probably, getting into the nitty-gritty of sort of the, uh, of morality, it becomes really unclear what's what. I'm thinking about, you know, you talked about what if you agreed to um, to be monogamous with somebody who you pay money for, and I'm thinking, well, that's like a mistress in a way. And then, well, if it's a mistress but you're not married, would anybody have a problem with that? You're supporting the person, you pay for an apartment for them and all that, but you're not married. You know, you just have somebody who you date and you pay them for, s- or pay to help them live Um, it's such a slippery slope when the nitty gritty it becomes so unclear what's wrong with the one that's different from the other Uh, and that's a danger when we go down this road uh, that's not to say, though, that, that you should just give up on morality, I think. Well, how
0: do, we, how do we then, how do we define morality? Bob's made the point a number of times that it's, it's the uh, immorality is the absence of choice. Am I sort of on the, on the line there?
2: Well, you, you, you can't be in an environment of, of morality where there is no choice. Okay, because so, cause if you're asking me to make a moral choice, you're saying, well, you've got to choose between good and evil, whatever those parameters are. And that I have that choice to make. All if right. I don't have the choice to make, there's no moral issue involved. Well, let's
0: say that I'm a precocious 15-year-old male or female, and I decide, and I'm quite bright. I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm very, very bright. I'm probably more mature and have more on the ball than most of the adults around. And I decide that I really like the idea of sex, and I, I think I want to have sex with, with adults. Now, I'm 15 years old. That's highly illegal in my country. But on what basis is it immoral if I am, and I'm, I know I'm pushing the envelope a little bit? But if I am this individual who is manifestly is not—I'm uh, not a child. I'm—I'm I'm fully aware of what I'm doing. Chronologically, I'm—I'm I'm under the—I'm under the age, so I'm automatically immoral. But from my point of view, there's nothing immoral about no, it. No,
2: I don't think. So. I don't think you're even in the realm of morality. You're talking about a 15-year-old yeah. or a 14-year-old. Yeah. Uh, they haven't reached the age of consent where they are in a position to even have those choices, and that's just the decision society has made. It, 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 like, 18 might be an arbitrary y- year to pick. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing you can do outside that is give someone their full moral accord once they have proven to society that they can support themselves mm-hmm. and that they can pay for their own supper and pay their own rent, and then, mm-hmm. then society has no business. But as long as that person's under the care of someone else, be that their parents or the state, mm-hmm. then those people call the shots. It's just well, as I, simple as that.
1: And for my end of it, I, w- I would have said that it's not the act, it's not the prostitute who's immoral, who's immoral to me, it's the customer who's immoral. But then as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, okay, well, what about the John, you know, the person who's hiring the prostitute? What if they're, you know, driven to it? And I have no idea, but again, to try and distinguish between what they're You're doing You're telling me hard.
2: that two, two people can engage in the same act and one of them is immoral and the other one's not? Oh. Is that, is that well, possible?
1: If, sure, that's what the uh, assaults are.
2: <laughs> well, no, that's a violation of a right. That's a, that's a definite standard. But yeah, two, two people, people consenting to something, each of them's consenting, each of them's making a choice, and you're saying one of them's immoral and the other one's not. Now you're suggesting it's the John that's immoral. But the prostitutes, not
1: yeah, and that I comes back to the idea of, kind how, of how weird. voluntary prostitution really is. And I know th- I, I, there there are all kinds of myths out there about prostitution. You've got movies like Pretty Women that don't help things. You know, where they portray uh, you know Julia Roberts as the prostitute mm-hmm. and you marry a billionaire and life goes as happily ever after. Life for most prostitutes is pretty grim. At least the ones that I've seen, um, they're not people who, who are thriving. They're people who are having a, they don't look good in most cases. They, you know they're they're genuine, generally malnourished. The ones that I've seen are not. It's not a happy lifestyle, so I don't see that as a, as a voluntary choice. Um, Ivan had mentioned as long as they're not forced, that it's okay, and it's a question of what is force. Uh, well, does force. It take a gun force to your is or less force than is that?
2: not when you you are forced by your conditions to do something, or you think you are. Force is when someone physically takes you. Another human being says you must do this, and you don't want to. That's that's all that force means in a social context.
1: But sure, if you have somebody who's got enough power, they can manipulate your life conditions to a point where you're driven to it. Technically, they haven't laid a hand on you, but they've they've manipulated your life. Well, uh, by that argument, movie, you could
2: say I would say most men are manipulated into marriage. <laughs> I mean, well, now you're and, in trouble. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, on that sure note, we're going to pause for just a second. We'll be back to wrap up this edition of Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJVK. This is Left, Right, and Center with Schlemmer and Mats. Uh, just to wrap up today, um, I guess th- <laughs> I don't know where we go with this discussion today. I don't know I don't know how you get any further than we are. You have people like. Uh, like Diane Watts, who believes very passionately that this is an issue about family values and about morality, and that if we, if we simply made it illegal, that it would go away. Well, We
2: have to make sure we continue to live in a society where people like her can, can believe what she wants to believe and live that life for herself. But mm-hmm. the minute she's successful in, in getting the government to tell others how to live their lives, you can bet that same government's going to come back on her
0: but and tell her how to live her life. But the government does
2: it now, for right. example. I mean, the government does it all. That well, doesn't mean encourage more. What's wrong is wrong, what's right is right, you go with what you know is right, whether it's being done or not.
1: Well, to me, the the thing is that uh, they've tried prohibition, it didn't work, you can't use the big stick, Uh, they've tried to reduce drunk driving, that did work. They didn't use a big stick. They used uh, public education and persuaded people to change their mind about things. And to me, if you want to change the way your neighbor thinks, that's the way to do it. You don't come out with with uh, a law saying, if you do it, we're going to hammer you. We say, right. here's some reasons why we hope that you don't want to do it. You and know, you have it may to take years, but that's what we're going to do. I think you have to accept that a good portion of society is not going to agree with you. Yep.
2: That's the basic that's thing. Right. We live in a society where we have the right to disagree mm-hmm. with one another. That's I what separates our mm-hmm. society, from so many others. Mm-hmm. And when I hear people in this society who have strong opinions, wanting to quash the opinions and practices of other people, I just don't know where they're coming from. Like, what kind of country do they want to live in?
0: But, you know, Jeffrey, there's another element to what you just said about the drunk, drunk driving, to or drinking and driving. It's quite true that education took us so far, but we are now faced a situation where uh, governments at a couple of different levels are looking at more stringent... Uh, uh, um, penalties? Penalties for people who are caught, because we've recognized that there is this this large body of individuals who can be moved by reason, and then there's this rather smaller body who just don't give a hoot. They drink and drive, and they're going to continue to do it, and they don't care about campaigns, they don't care about the existing legal sanctions, they don't care about anything. Well, they're they're going to
1: die out sooner or later. The problem is... They're going to take some of us with them. That's the problem. Again, I I think that broadly we'll we'll get through that. The danger is when you're stopping 10,000 people to stop one drunk driver, uh, there comes a point where things just go too far, and uh, again, whenever the stick comes out, I get worried. Gentlemen, thank
0: you. A pleasure as always. Thanks, James. Thanks. Next week, uh, at this same time, same station, we will be back with the next edition of Left, Right, and Center. And a reminder, if you do have a, a topic you'd like to hear discussed, if you'd like to pick the brains of our guests here, don't ever hesitate to give us a call or drop us a line. We'll be pleased to address any issue that uh, that we think might be of wider interest to our audience as well. So my thanks to Jeff and Bob. A reminder that tomorrow we got a busy show. They're talking about bringing American and Russian plutonium to Canada for disposal. Mayor uh, Mike Bradley of Sarnia is just incensed because they're talking about trucking it through his city. He'll join us tomorrow, and then we'll talk about the problem of nuclear waste disposal. We're also going to talk about adopting a child overseas. We've got an author on who believes that humans are an engineered hybrid.